a feeling. Oh boy, oh boy, I can hardly stand it. Oh boy, oh boy, there is joy in my soul. God's Holy Spirit overflows. I go to church on Sundays to hear the preacher preach. With preaching from the Word of God, my heart's one all to reach. Every sin besetting me and making my life rough, I'll run to my rock of refugees more than enough. Well, oh boy, oh boy, what a feeling. Yes, oh boy, oh boy, I can hardly stand it. Oh boy, oh boy, there is joy in my soul. God's Holy Spirit overflows. People live in darkness and die in the same. Though salvation's free to all who trust in Jesus' name. When I'm blessed to see one who turns from dark to light, my blesser gets turned inside out. Satan lost the fight. Well, oh boy, oh boy, what a feeling. Yes, oh boy, oh boy, I can hardly stand it. Oh boy, oh boy, there is joy in my soul. God's Holy Spirit overflows. Oh boy, oh boy, what a feeling. Yes. Oh boy, oh boy, I can hardly stand it. Oh boy, oh boy, there is joy in my soul. God's Holy Spirit overflows. Oh boy, oh boy, God's Holy Spirit overflows. Amen. Oh, I think I know one that everybody might like. One day I'll be standing on the good side of goodbye. One day I'll be standing on the good side of goodbye. On one hand waving to loved ones. On the other hand, look into the other side. No regrets for I see Jesus after all. He is the reason I could say of be standing on the good side of goodbye. I have stood and watched loved ones pass into eternity. Heart strings draining, teardrops falling, feeling sorry for me. I know I'll miss them as they go, this is a part of life. And though it hurts, if they're saved, they're on the good side of goodbye. One day I'll be standing on the good side of goodbye. On one hand waving to loved ones, on the other hand looking to the other side. No regrets for I see Jesus after all. He is the reason I could say I'll be standing on the good side of goodbye. How can goodbye be of any good when it breaks the heart of man? Remembering how it used to be of the race. That they ran, but the Bible says we're to lift our eyes, keep them on the eastern sky. 
Our redemption drawing nigh is the good side of goodbye. One day I'll be standing on the good side of goodbye. On one hand waving to loved ones, on the other hand looking to the other side. No regrets for I see Jesus after all. He is the reason I could say I'll be standing on the good side of goodbye. No regrets for I see Jesus after all. He is the reason I can say I'll be standing. I could say I'll be standing. I could say I'll be standing on the good side of goodbye. This is one of my favorite songs. Tell about that one. Well, I was uh, I was in the song writing mood, and I uh, thought, you know, I have seen a lot of pe- uh, preachers and a lot of singers miss their calling. I've seen a lot of people that uh, thinks that they're doing good. And in fact, they are doing lousy. Are you all with me? Do you understand that sometimes just because people think they're doing good does not mean that they're doing good. It simply means that they're kind of... uh, Amen? Because they're not doing God's work. And they say they are. Well, listen to this beautiful song, I Will Finish Well. I will finish well that which Christ began in me. I will finish well and show His grace that set me free. I will finish well that others trust in Jesus' name. I will finish well to see that others live this way. Running this race is to testify of the goodness of the Lord. He never leaves nor forsakes us. We can feel Him more and more. Abiding in Christ through His sacrifice on rugged Calvary. Sets the stage to finish well as we fall upon our knees. I will finish well that which Christ began in me. I will finish well and show His grace that set me free. I will finish well that others trust in Jesus' name. I will finish well to see that others live this way. 
seldom have I finished the race that I begun. Torn between what I want to do and that which should be done. Being saved is the thing that pays the way that I must run. This is the only path that comes from God. I will finish well that which Christ began in me. I will finish well and show His grace that set me free. I will finish well that others trust in Jesus' name. I will finish well to see that others live this way. I will finish well, finish well, finish well to see that others live this people in my life that have been influential. My dad was one of them. Uh, he preached right up until just a few weeks before he passed with cancer. And, uh, there are other men that I've, I've shared with others before that uh, you catch more from their life and observing them than you probably were ever taught by them. And just the character that they had and their steadfastness. I appreciate the crows. And their ministry, uh, they've never changed as far as I can tell, other than physically. Uh, and uh, just have been the same and consistent over the years, and I appreciate that. It means a lot to a younger man in ministry, because the temptation is out there for churches and ministries. We were talking a little bit about this last night at supper. And there are friends of mine that uh, used to be solid on things of Scripture, and King James Bible and doctrines and standards that have changed over the years. And it's heartbreaking to watch. And uh, we were talking a little bit about this. And the sad thing is they know when they change that they're going to lose some people that were under their influence. But they're going to also gain some that are going to be influenced by the new way that they're going and their reason, one of the big motivating reasons why they change is because they hope and expect for that crowd that they're going to gain will be larger, give them more influence, give them perhaps more money than the crowd that they used to influence. I would just as soon stay where the Lord puts me and just influence what God has uh, in store through His Word. And in the, the folks we've, we've studied recently uh, about false teachers that do so for the purpose of getting gain from you to make merchandise of you. And I think it was R.A. Torrey that said years ago that a man who won't preach the whole counsel of God only has one motive, and that is for money. They want money. And uh, doctrine isn't the thing that draws a lot of people into church. It's not the most exciting thing of, of uh, people that... Uh, come to attend church. 
Uh, it excites Christians who long to have the doctrine of God's Word. But the truth is, we don't come to church to be excited. We come to church to be fed by the Word of God and have God do a work in us. And uh, if God chooses to excite us through His Word, then that's great. But we don't come for the entertainment value. We come for the, the truth of God's Word. Psalm 73, if you will, this morning or this afternoon. Psalm 73. <clears throat> How many of you have ever been discouraged? <laughs> That's a pretty, pretty easy statement to make, isn't it? So the message this afternoon is to all of us, I guess. Um, we get discouraged, don't we, a lot of times. And uh, there, there's no shortage of people throughout history that have gotten discouraged over the years. In fact, many of them in Scripture. We're going to look at a few of them today. David is one of them. You, you don't even have to dig very deep into the Psalms to see how often David was discouraged. Many of the Psalms talk about his discouragement, his heartbrokenness. And then, uh, of course, usually most of the time, triumphantly, towards the end of the Psalm, he comes to recognize the goodness of God and how it cheers his heart and brings him out of that. Psalm 73, if you will. Truly God is good to Israel, even as such, uh, to such as are of a clean heart. But as for me, my feet were almost gone. My steps had well nigh slipped. For I was envious at the foolish when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no bands in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in, any, they are not in trouble as other men, neither are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride compasseth them about as a chain. Violence covereth them as a garment. Their eyes stand out with fatness, and they have more than heart could wish. You ever felt that way before about the wicked? Seems like the more you stand firm for the Lord and stand fast for Him, the more the wicked seem to prosper and we seem to suffer. And yet, the psalmist was in this same boat. That's the way he's looking at it. He says, They are corrupt and speak wickedly concerning oppression. They speak loftily. <coughs> they set their mouth against the heavens. Their tongue walketh through the earth. Therefore, his people return hither, and waters of a full cup are wrung out to them. And they say, How doth God know, and is there knowledge in the Most High? Behold, these are the ungodly who prosper in the world. They increase in riches. Verily, I have cleansed my heart in vain, and washed my hands in innocency. For all the day long have I been plagued and chastened every morning. You ever felt like that? <laughs> the psalmist said, I've tried to live right. I've washed my hands. I've tried to live rightly in vain. I've tried to wash my hands in vain. And it seems like I've done this all the day long, and all I get is plague and chastening every morning. And sometimes it feels like that, doesn't it? If I say, I will speak thus, behold, I should offend against the generation of thy children. When I thought to know this, Notice this phrase. It was too painful for me. You ever been there? More than you could bear. That's where the psalmist is. Until. Aren't you glad of the until? He says, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then understood I therein. Surely thou didst set them in slippery places. Thou castest them down into destruction. How are, how are they brought into desolation as in a moment they are utterly consumed with terrors? 
as a dream when one awakeneth. So, O Lord, when Thou awakest, Thou shalt despise their image. Thus my heart was grieved, and I was pricked in my reins. So foolish was I and ignorant. I was as a beast before Thee. Nevertheless, I am continually with Thee. Thou hast holden me by my right hand. Now, just a few verses ago, he was talking about his feet slipping. How close it was. And now he tells the Lord, I am continually with thee. My hand is in your hand. David, of all the people I know of in Scripture, is probably the most vocal in Scripture about his own depression, his own despair, uh, dis- discouragement and disparity that goes on in his life. I mean, he was chased by Saul. His life was threatened. Uh, numerous times he was having to live among the enemy of Israel, the Philistines. He was having to not be able to go into the house of God and worship the way that he would like to for fear of his own life. David was discouraged. Moses was discouraged, wasn't he? Turn with me to Numbers chapter number 11. Numbers chapter 11. Numbers chapter 11. Verse number ten. Moses, or Numbers chapter, Moses chapter, Numbers chapter eleven, verse number ten. Then Moses heard the people weep throughout their families, every man in the door of his tent, and the anger of the Lord was kindled greatly. Moses also was displeased, and Moses said unto the Lord, Wherefore hast thou afflicted thy servant? Wherefore have I not found favor in thy sight, that thou layest the burden of all this people upon me? Moses was discouraged, wasn't he? The burden was too great. You ever had too much responsibility that God's put on your heart? That the burden is just too great? He says, Have I conceived all this people? Have I begotten them? That thou shouldest say unto me, Carry them in thy bosom, as a nurturing father beareth the sucking child unto the land which thou swearest unto their fathers? Whence should I have flesh to give unto all this people? For they weep unto me, saying, Give us flesh that we may eat. I am not able to bear all this people alone, because it is too heavy for me. Moses discouraged. He's discouraged. You can almost hear the anger, really, the frustration that he has towards God. Can you imagine the audacity of Moses? He said, this isn't my people. I'm not the one who bore them out here. You're the one that did it, is what he's saying to God. He says, this burden is too great. I'm not able to bear all this people alone because it's too heavy for me. And this is how badly he was discouraged. Look in verse 15. And if thou deal thus with me, kill me, I pray thee, out of hand. If I have found favor in thy sight, and let me not see my wretchedness. I mean, he was to the point saying, Lord, take me home. I'm ready to go. He was discouraged, wasn't he? You ever been there? A lot of people have. A lot of people have. Elijah was discouraged, wasn't he? Elijah was discouraged. He felt like he was the only one kept alive. And uh, was the only one still standing for the Lord. Paul... Paul was discouraged, wasn't he? 
Look with me in Second uh, Corinthians chapter number th- uh, three. Second Corinthians chapter three. I'm sorry, Second Corinthians one. I got the wrong, wrong chapter. Second Corinthians chapter one. Verse number one: Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, under the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints which are in Achaia. Grace be, unto you, or grace be to you, and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort, who comforteth us in our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort them which are in any trouble by the comfort wherewith we ourselves are comforted of God. For as the sufferings of Christ abound in us... Boy, that's a statement, isn't it? As the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation also aboundeth in, by Christ. And whether we be afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effectual in the enduring of the same sufferings, which we also suffer. Or whether we be comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. In other words, he said, if we're suffering, we're doing it for your sakes. If we're comforted by God, we're doing it so that we can be a comfort to you when you go through these things. This is what Paul's saying in these first few verses. And verse 7, he says, And our hope of you is steadfast, knowing that as ye are partakers of the sufferings, so shall ye be also the consolation. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble which came to us in Asia. This is Paul speaking. That we were pressed, and I want you to notice these phrases. We were pressed out of measure, above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. Brother Crow and I were talking last night, and I taught this a few months ago. There are times that we take the verse, that there is no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God will with that temptation make also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And we often take that verse out of its context. It's dealing with temptation and how God gives us a way to escape sin and not have to go through with the temptation. But oftentimes we read that verse not that He will not uh, He'll make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it, and we'll say God won't put anything on you more than you can bear, and that's what we get from that verse. But that's not what He's saying there. He's saying He's making a way of escape from temptation. From what I've read here, all three of these men were ready to be killed for the cause for the, for this depression. They were they were beyond strength. They said, Lord, just just end my life. Go ahead and take it. Take it. I I despair of life. And yet God gave them strength to get through it. Notice in verse number 9, he says, But we had the sentence of death in ourselves that we should not trust in ourselves. Notice this. But in God, which raiseth the dead, who delivered us from so great a death, and doth deliver, in whom we trust that He will yet deliver us. This is where Paul was at. He was at the place of saying, I've despaired even of life, but my trust was in God. And even though it was more than I could bear, I trusted Him. I trusted Him. And He brought me through. I want to give you five ways this afternoon to lift the burdens of others. Five ways from the Bible that we can lift the burdens of of others. Look with me first of all in 1 Corinthians chapter number 13. 
First Corinthians chapter number 13. Verse number one, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profiteth me nothing. Charity suffereth long and is what? Kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. Doth not behave itself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things. And I tell you, the first way I believe that the Bible shows that you and I can help lift the burdens of others is to treat them with gracious kindness. Treat them with gracious kindness. It's amazing to me in Galatians chapter number 6, if you'll take a moment to turn over there, Galatians chapter number 6, we often quote this verse and we kind of misuse it in some ways. Verse number 1, the Bible says, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a what? In a fault. For man be overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. And then here's the verse we often quote, and we don't consider the verses before it or after it. Bear ye one another's what? Burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Can I tell you this, that when a, when a Christian is stumbling in the Christian life, when he's involved in a fault, it is a burden to them. And one of the best ways you and I can help a person who's overtaken in a fault is to go on Facebook and be critical of them. Is that what your Bible says? No, neither does mine. The best way that the Bible says that we help them is to restore such a one in a spirit of meekness. When Paul's speaking here to the, uh, in the first letter to the Corinthians, he's speaking here of the fact that this charity is one that is kind. This charity is one that beareth all things. When somebody's overtaken in a fault, when somebody's having a burden in their life, maybe it's not a sinful thing. Maybe it's just the circumstances of life that have so overwhelmed them. Maybe they're at the, at the place where David was, where he said, My feet had uh, well nigh slipped. And I, I, I'm at the place where I'm just about to give up on the things of the Lord because it's so bad. Maybe you're where Moses was or Paul was and said, I despair of life, or Lord, kill me. How do we help that person overcome that? We don't always know what somebody's going through, do we? I have too many times in my life been guilty of being critical, even being blunt and bold to confront somebody, only to find out the sorrow that they were bearing in their own hearts. I remember a number of years ago in our Christian school, we had a young lady, I think it was second grade, third grade, kept getting into trouble. 
couldn't, couldn't behave herself, couldn't sit still in class, was always turning around talking in her seat. The teacher kept writing them up on discipline slips. And in our school, we had a, a set number you could get, and then it would escalate to something bigger and then something bigger. And eventually, if you didn't correct the problem, you were expelled from the school. You could also do one big thing that was really bad, and you could be expelled right away from our school. This young lady wasn't, a, wasn't one who did all this really bad stuff. She just couldn't sit still and would talk with people and, and without raising her hand in the class and was disruptive. And the teacher had gotten so frustrated and wrote him up and wrote her up and wrote her up. I remember when it came time for the young lady to be suspended from our school for a few days. Uh, the principal of the school had to let me know about it. And he he said, Pastor, we got this young lady, third grade. She's met the criteria to be suspended for a couple days. And so we're going to issue the suspension. I said, okay, because they had to get that level of discipline. had to be approved through the pastor. And I said, that's fine. And I said, as long as we have the documentation on it. I didn't know the situation. didn't know the young lady. A few weeks later, he came and he said, Pastor, she's accumulated enough disciplines to be expelled from our school. And that required us to meet with the parents. So I said, we'll set up the meeting with the parents and make sure you have all the paperwork. And uh, we'll meet with them. About an hour before the meeting, I went into the office and got her discipline file. I began looking through it and I saw all these little things, just talking without permission, uh, cutting up in class, misbehaving. I thought, how can you expel a third year, third grade student for such small little things? There's got to be some other reason why she wasn't behaving. So the time came to meet with her parents, and in comes this elderly couple. And I kind of did a double take. I looked at them, and I thought, that's not her parents. Can't be her parents. We walked into the office and the grandma is weeping. It was her grandma and grandpa. Our administrator began to talk with them and was very stern and she's exceeded our discipline limit. She must leave our school. We're going to have to expel her. And I took the envelope, the folder from him for a minute, and I said, I said, Brother Bert, just let me ask a few questions here. I said, I said, folks, why, why, are, why are there such problems? Why is she having such a hard time? Is there something we've been missing, something we need to be doing to help her? And the grandpa's sitting there, and he's fighting back his tears. He said, he said, Pastor, he said, we've tried everything. He said, her dad, she's never known. Her mom is a drug addict and went to prison for 10 years there a few, few months back. She was going to be put in foster care, and we didn't want her to do that. So the courts allowed us to take her in. She, they said, we live in a, a 55 and older uh, condominium apartment complex. There's no place for her to play. There's no kids her age. She comes home from school and she's around elderly, retired people all evening. And she's 
she's in third grade. She has no friends. She can't play. She can't get her energy out. And we just don't know what else to do. She wasn't a bad kid. She wasn't rebellious. She just couldn't sit still. I began to weep as they told me the story. I said, is there something we could do to be a help? I said, we're going we're to give her another set of disciplines that she can have before expulsion. We're going to kind of hit a reset back to about a halfway point on this and see if there's not some things we can do on our side to help. We had an after-school program in our school and uh, where people that worked could have them stay after school and they could go out to the playground and play. And there was a bunch of kids that played out there and with supervision. And I said, why don't you put her in the after-school program? And they said, Pastor, we're already not making ends meet. We're on a limited budget, fixed income, and it's all we can do to put her in the school. And I said, well, we're going to waive the fee for putting her in the aftercare. We're going to let her come and play every afternoon. And you can come at 5 o'clock and pick her up, let her play for two or three hours after school every day. They began to weep and they said, we've been in and out of two or three different places trying to find a way to help her. And she said, you're the first place that's tried to be a help. And then I went home that evening and I, my daughter, my middle daughter, Reagan, was about her age. And I told my wife, I said, we need to invite her over to the house once or twice a month just to spend a day and play with Reagan. And so we began to do that. We began to come to our church. And that young lady began to behave at school simply because somebody cared to find out what the problem was and prayed for them and tried to help them. Can I tell you this? In the spiritual life, there are a lot of times that we are quick to judge and we have no idea what someone is going through. How gracious it would be of you and I to say, how can I be of help? Is there something I can do to be a help in this situation, in this trial? But it's too easy to criticize, isn't it? It's too easy to begin to talk about them to other people. We need to be able to treat them with kind graciousness and gracious kindness. Reach out to them and find out what the situation is. Let them know that you're there to pray for them. To help bear whatever the burden is that they're going through. To say, I may not be able to help a lot, but I'll be there for you. Look with me, if you will, in Colossians chapter number 4. Colossians chapter number 4. Verse number 12, Paul writes this. He says, Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ, saluteth you, always laboring fervently for you, notice this, in prayers, that you may, be, that you may stand perfect and complete in all the will of God. 
Can I tell you this? The second thing we can do to bear the burdens and lift the burdens of others is to fervently labor in prayer for them. I'm not talking about at the dinner table saying, Lord, bless so-and-so. I'm talking about getting a hold of the throne of God and interceding for them and pleading for God to help lift the burden of their heart. But it's too easy to be too critical of them, isn't it? And that seems to be our go-to mode of action when people are burdened or going through trials that we don't understand. And we think, well, it's, if I was going through that, I would sure handle it a lot differently. You know, maybe we would not. We need to pray for them. Number three is Proverbs chapter number 12. Proverbs chapter 12. Proverbs 12 and verse number 25. The Bible says, Heaviness in the heart of man maketh it stoop, but a good word maketh it glad. Offer a word of encouragement. You say, well, Pastor, I'm praying for them. Then let them know that. There have been times, numerous times, in years past, that this pastor has gone through some very, very dark times. And it seems to be amazing to me how God's timing is. And I'll phone, sometimes it will be my phone ringing or, or, or it will alert me that I've got a text from somebody. And I'll have a text in there and it will say, Pastor, just want to let you know I'm praying for you today. And it would come at just the most opportune times. Can I tell you that? It went a long way to lifting that burden. Just to show the kindness of a kind word. To text and say, I just want to just want to let you know I'm praying for you today. If there's anything I can do, let me know. There are times I text people and try to let them know how appreciative I am uh, for the influence that they have been in my life. Ephesians chapter number 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse number 29. Paul writes this, he says, Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Kind words spoken. Kind words was reach out to them. Share a word of encouragement with them. Send a text to them. Call them on the phone. Number four is Philippians chapter number four. We're almost done. Ephesians chapter or Philippians chapter four, verse number eighteen. Philippians chapter four. Paul's speaking of this. He says, "But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of sweet smell, of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well pleasing to the Lord." And Paul said this. He says, "I am full. I am full." having received of you those things from the Epaphras. Can I tell you this? Number four, give them something tangible. It may be a card. It may be a candy bar. It, it, it may just be a, a, a note written on a, on a sticky note stuck on a mirror somewhere. Give them something that they can hold on to. Something they can tuck in a pocket. Something they can put in a drawer. And on another day when they're having a difficult time, they can go back to it. And remember your kindness to them. 
Paul was made full by the things that Epaphras brought to him. It doesn't have to be expensive. I told my kids many, many times, they've had friends of theirs sometimes that get upset at them or lash out at them over something and are going through a difficult time, and my kids will come to me and they'll be complaining about it. And I'll, invariably, I'll tell them the same thing. Buy them a card and a candy bar and give it to them. Let them know you're praying for them. Let them know you love them. You care about them. It makes a difference, folks. It'll help bear the burden of others. And then lastly, 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. 2 Corinthians chapter 7. Verse number 7, he says this, Nevertheless, God that comforteth those that are cast down comforted us by the coming of Titus. Number five, offer your physical presence. Just be there. Be there. There's been some times that I've not known what to do. I've not known what to say. And I've gone to the place where the person was that was hurting. I remember a young man years ago that was going through one of the most trying things a teenage young man would have to go through. I remember going to meet with him. Got to the place where he was at. And just sat down in a chair across from him. And I said, brother, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. But I'm here. Didn't talk a whole lot. I don't know how long I stayed. Maybe an hour or so. Didn't really talk a whole lot. But he told me years later, he said, that meant more to me to just have you there. To just have you there. Bearing the burden of others. Bearing the burden of others. Some ways that we can help bear the burden of others. Sometimes we may get to be like David, or Moses, or Elijah, or Paul, or any number of biblical characters that were discouraged under great duress. Ways that we can help lift the burdens of others. So I want to encourage you in that. Let's stand together. We'll be, uh, well, we're going to have a word of prayer. And then, actually, just remain seated. We'll pray while you're seated. And uh, then we'll have the crows come. And uh, I've enjoyed having them here today. They, they're dear friends of mine. And their ministry certainly has been a blessing even today. I've certainly enjoyed their friendship over the years. I don't know how many more years the Lord will give us, but we're going to enjoy the ones He does. And uh, looking forward to that. Let's pray, and then they're going to come and just sing another song or two. Let's pray together. Father, we ask You to take the Word of God that was preached today. And Lord, may Your Holy Spirit seal it into our hearts. May our eyes be open to it. And I pray that You'd help us to accomplish in our lives the truth of these passages. To be able to have them become a part of who we are, our character, our, our strength of faith, our love for You, our love for others. Lord, may it become a part of our life. I pray that You'll help us to not quickly forget it, but that You'll call it to remembrance often. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Anybody have a favorite they want us to sing? He wants us to just sit down and shut up. <laughs> I'll tell you what. This off of our newest album back there. And <clears throat> Brother Crow wrote this song. And now, this is not the one that you wrote and brought back years later. We did this one, I believe. But anyway, he likes this song. And I like to hear him sing it because it just says, Shine on. Shine on. Shine on. The death, burial, resurrection of Jesus means salvation. The hope of every nation, your spiritual starvation. Jesus is the way, the truth, the light for all who will see. This light that illuminates darkness shines through souls like you and me. Shine on, shine on. Though the devil tries to put you out, that's the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Shine on, shine on, shine on. There are millions of souls in the balance, please shine on. We know all men have sinned and sin when his finished brings forth death. Just as the Lord has said. He's the one who gave us bread. Not willing that any should perish, God's only Son bore our penalty. To cast our sins into the deepest sea and forgive you and me. Shine on, shine on. Though the devil tries to put you out, that's the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. Shine on, shine on, shine on. There are millions of souls in the balance, please. Shine on, shine on, shine on. So nobody liked my guitar, huh? Wherever he is. We always like to sing this song as our final song when we're in services. Now we'll be back Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. And we'll be singing a few more songs then. But this is our theme song. started in 1985 and Brother Crow wrote the chorus to the song first and he was driving through the hills of Wimberley, Texas you know and it was a two lane highway and he would stop and 
block traffic and he would write a few lyrics and then go on. But this is our theme song. And then it took until 1991 or 90, somewhere in there. Uh, and a preacher friend of ours that was also a singer helped him write the verses for this. And it came together. You know, you never know who's watching you. You never know what they're listening to. That's a good poem. Right there, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, we were in a church uh, not long after he wrote the chorus to this. and um, There was a, a young girl, young, very, uh, not very old, back over on that side. And she had a little boy. She had a little boy that was about five years old with her. It was her son, and she had just gotten saved. We found out later. It was a Sunday morning service, and the pastor had heard the chorus, and he wanted us to just, just sing that chorus. Well, there was a deaf girl in Del Rio, Texas, way down on the border down there, and she taught me sign language. And so I picked it up on this chorus, and later on I learned the whole song, and I became a translator and uh, started doing quite a bit. But then in, in uh, 1994, I had my first of nine TIA strokes and lost everything. Words were gone. I couldn't do any more signing except this song. It's amazing how God, He gets you and He keeps you with what He wants you to do. Believe so, me, folks, it works. It does. And so this song, through the years, this is our theme song. This is what we've based our ministry, our life for the Lord together and ending 39 years of this ministry in December starting our 40th year the Lord willing in January and starting our 50th year of being married together 50 years wow I think we had a couple here earlier that was 57 years was that that wasn't you no they were older anyway the theme of our theme in this, being forever his, is it's more than words. It's a way of life. Just like you preached our theme song. Hold it. Well, I did have it, but uh, no. Let me do it, please.
She had just gotten saved a couple of weeks prior to that and wanted to know some of the songs, some of the words, like Jesus. She wanted so much for her little boy who was totally deaf to be able to know the Jesus that she had just found. And I worked with her for just a, maybe 30 minutes or so, and then we were gone. And later that night we came back, and she came in, and she had been talking with her little boy all afternoon. And just before church, he understood that Jesus could save him. And he accepted Christ as his personal Savior. Five years old. I don't know what happened to him, but you never know, Pastor, who's watching you do what you do. That's right. Thank you so much. Thank you all for coming.
said they'll be with us again on Wednesday. I wasn't sure when they were coming. They were going to be uh, able to be here Wednesday night with us. But they are going to be able to be here Wednesday night as well, and we'll give them some time there as well to get some uh, songs in for us. And I've enjoyed having them here. And uh, let's go ahead and be dismissed in prayer. Good to have the Powell family here, and uh, certainly enjoy to see them, and uh, even Corey. So good to have all of you. But uh, let's go ahead and have a word of prayer, and we'll be dismissed. Father, we are so thankful for the wonderful time of fellowship around your people. We thank you for the crows and their ministry. We pray that you'll continue to work and bless as they um, day by day labor and serve you.